Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. My name is Mark Ellis. With me, as always, is Jacqueline Coley, my beloved co-host. And Jacqueline, I figured it out. I solved the riddle. I know exactly who you are in the world of sports. Here we go. Because you, last week, you came off your crowning championship of attending the Oscars. That's the culmination of award season. But you Mm -hmm. are like a college basketball head coach because there's no season for you now you just jump right back into recruiting i am willing to bet you've already looked at plane tickets for the first film festival that pops up am i right looked at mark i'm sorry to tell you they're already booked sir (laughs) so we will be at can in a matter of weeks basically this little eight week six week banter i get through april and the beginning of may is all i have which is one of the reasons why i'm taking a nice extended vacation coming up so i hope you enjoy whatever you have going on i'm sure you will have lovely co-hosts but I'm not even going to lie to you in the slightest. I am not going to miss seeing you for three weeks. I am not going to fault you Here. for that. I'm Here. just happy you get a little bit of a break. I like in my world, you deserve many, many naps. And if one of those or two of those or three of those naps are taken with your toes in the sand somewhere, I would say, well, earned. you did an amazing job covering the awards and you're going to do an amazing job covering the movies that I should be watching. And I might check out a couple of them. So we're going to be talking about <laughs> one of those films today. I don't know where Jacqueline's going on vacation, by the way. She hasn't even told me. Maybe it's a magical land where there are beasts that are fantastic, if you will. Maybe there's magic. Good segue. Good segue. Maybe maybe she's hitting platform nine and three quarters and uh, heading off to a Hogwarts. But the movie we're talking about today is, of course, Fantastic Beasts. And if you were curious, don't worry. The movie tells you where to find them. It's the first of the Fantastic Beasts movies. It picks up from the lore of Harry Potter and serves as sort of a prequel to what's going on with the world of Mr. Potter. This is about 70 years prior. The film right now is 74% certified fresh on the tomato meter, which is good news, 79% for the audience score. And so this was the first entry as we get ready for the follow-up to The Crimes of Grindelwald, which was the second in the series. The new movie is going to be The Secrets of Dumbledore. He's got a plenty. And so now, before we introduce our guest, I'm just going to ask you one question. Jacqueline, do you like these movies? I'm not even asking you for your tomato meter feelings yet. When I say Fantastic Beasts, what's the first thing that happens in your head? Not good things. Uh Uh-oh, boy. Not good things. 
This is going to be not fun. good things. I feel bad to say that because I love so many people that are involved in this franchise. Um, but we could have done without. It's very the Hobbit series that Peter Jackson did uh, after the Lord of the Rings. Um, I'm not one of these people that always says just because you don't understand why something should exist, it shouldn't. I think a lot of people said that about Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. And then once we got to see it, it proved like, oh, when it's Steven Spielberg, you can understand why it's great to see him do this. That being said, I still now three movies in besides seeing a fine Jude Law in a nice tailored vintage suit. I'm I'm really coming up short on reasons why they should exist. Matt Jude Law is a good looking boy. Well, we're going to bring in a very handsome young man himself and a fan, I believe, of the Fantastic Beast series, as well as all of the world of the wizarding. Not it's, a, it's not our producer, Lucy, although producer Lucy is a big fan of these movies. I hear we are bringing in our guest who has been one of my buddies for a for a long, long time. Phoenix Suns Stan, and he's also a writer for Geeks of Color, and he is the host of the Meaning of Podcast on the First Cut channel with our friends RB3, Robert Butler III, and Sabrina Ramirez. He is Andres Cabrera. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How you been? How you feeling about your sons? Oh, I feel great. Feeling great, man. What a what a time. What a time. What a season uh, to be talking about the Suns and to be talking about a, a new Fantastic Beast movie, which I guess I'm one of the few people excited for. But look, as as you know, Andres, you and I have had conversations off air. I my opinions are very malleable. I can mm. be swayed. I can be convinced. It's it, it's a tall order for for these movies today, particularly more with Crimes of Grindelwald. We'll talk about that a little bit, but I want to focus on the first Fantastic Beast and where to find them. The Tomato Meter, seventy four percent certified fresh. How does that hit you? Is that is that the right number, or do you think it's too low? I think it it varies, right? Because there's a lot that goes into reviewing a kind of movie like this because it is a spinoff slash sequel slash prequel. A lot of people put a lot of weight in that. So it's one of those things where I can't really fault people for feeling a little bit, I don't want to say underwhelmed, but feeling a little bit like not as much invested because they didn't grow up with this book series like they did with the Harry Potter series, or they're not invested in the characters like they were with Harry Potter. So it, it is a little bit of a tall task to ask people to really invest inside these characters when it's a brand new story inside a world they already know. So. I would I would be okay with that. I, I would probably put it a little bit higher, but that's just some, my opinion. But I'm not mad at people who put it at 74%. Okay. Well, you might be mad at me because I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, and I think that this is too high of a score. I can't I, I, I can't get this movie to fresh. I really can't. I, I it's again. I, I didn't think it was a. I didn't think it was a terrible film. I didn't think it was a an, an unworthy endeavor. But I feel like it just missed the mark and what I really was left the theater just scratching my head was I just didn't feel a connection to any of the characters. I didn't feel a lot of personality. I didn't feel a lot of uh, enthusiasm in this movie, despite the movie title being Fantastic Beasts. I think I responded to the beasts more than I did any of the humans or the human-like things that I saw in the movie. So I think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Jacqueline, I have a feeling you've, you agree with me. Wholeheartedly. Very wrong. <laughs> this movie's might- terrible. She might uh, she might she might be a tougher uh, uh, foe than than I am today, Andre. So yeah. let's get into this, uh, Jacqueline. I'll, I'll give you the floor for a quick synopsis about Fantastic Beasts and mm. where you can find them. 
Yeah, so Fantastic Beasts and Where You Can Find Them is in the world of Harry Potter, but it's set about 70 years prior to the events of the first film, Sorcerer's Stone. And in it, we find Newt Scamander, who's actually in the Harry Potter series as one of the books that Harry has to study. We sort of learn about his adventures as an awkward and bumbling, but in love with animals uh, person. It's uh, one of these things where he relates more to animals than humans, but he comes to America because it turns out one of the magical creatures that is inside his very deceptively large box uh, is being poached. And so he's trying to bring it to Arizona, to America, where it's safe. This is where we find the American wizards, folks like Nomad. You have Colin Farrell, who's the head of their police, his love interest, who happens to be a detective. And there's a magical creature on the loose that they think Newt is responsible for. We go through the events of the day. Of course, our lovely Newt is not responsible. We uncover some secret identities and we discover through the course of the film that the creature that has been terrorizing everyone is actually the magic of a wizard who's been holding his power. And that wizard has a much larger place in the overall, I would say, Fantastic Beast universe. And spoiler alert, surprise, surprise, Colin Farrell, who's been a very strange uh, head of police this whole time, doing a lot of things that you question, turns out that he is actually Grindelwald in disguise. Boom. There we go. There you go. That's your, Mm -hmm. that's your, movie right there that it sets us off on a chain of events and again we are sort of picking up the pieces or i guess we're looking at the pieces that are eventually going to be the mountainous legos built by the harry potter franchise before we (laughs) hear from tim ryan our expert review curation manager i do want to bring in producer lucy because lucy you are a like andres a stan of not just harry potter lore but also fantastic beast lore so you are backup for sir cabrera should he need it is that correct yes i am Andres, I'm here for you. Don't let them bully you. Stay strong. I'm, I'm quietly in the background <laughs> rooting for you. Let's go. I, I, okay, uh, we're going to give Andres like three lifelines in case he needs to bring in Lucy to make it a fair fight. But I, I think this guy knows how to handle it. I've seen Andres answer trivia questions about these movies. I've seen him talk about these movies in front of audiences. So the guy is ready for a little bit of a friendly tussle here on Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. So now it is time for Tim Ryan to have center stage. He does our segment Two Minutes with Tim, and he's going to tell us what the critics were saying at the time of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them's release. Timmy, take it away. Two Minutes with Tim. Given the culture-wide success of the Harry Potter franchise, it's easy to understand why fans and movie executives would want to take a few more trips into the wizarding world. But thus far, the Fantastic Beasts movies have been a decidedly mixed bag. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them from 2016 is certified fresh at 74% with 346 reviews and it has a 79% audience score. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them from 2016 is certified fresh at 74% on the tomato meter with 346 reviews and it has a 79% audience score. Its critics' consensus reads, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them draws on Harry Potter's rich mythology to deliver a spinoff that dazzles with franchise-building magic all its own. Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald from 2018 is rotten at 36% with 334 reviews, and it has a 52% audience score. Its critics' consensus reads, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald has glimmers of the magic familiar to Harry Potter fans, but the story's spell isn't as strong as earlier installments. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review for the first film, Karen Hahn of Cutprint Film wrote, Fantastic Beasts is a charm, excelling when it's allowed to be its own creature and falling short only when it's forced to pay its franchise dues. 
However, in a rotten review of Grindelwald, Roxana Haddadi of Chesapeake Family Magazine wrote, Certain characters spend all of Fantastic Beasts, the crimes of Grindelwald, barely doing anything, and the wide-open nature of the ending in particular cheapens the preceding film. So that's the Fantastic Beasts movies. And just so you know, the fate of one will change the future of all. Who will change the future? Will it be Jacqueline? Or will it be Mark? I'll kick it back to them so they can figure it out. A lot of pressure on both Jacqueline and myself. Jacqueline's about to go on vacation, so I'll take the fate of the universe for the next few weeks if that's cool with her. Let's go to our movie talk segment as we hit the music one more time. Brian, if you would. All right. So we open with, and I promise this is not a loaded question, Andres, just because I'm curious from your take when the movie was announced, when we were starved for any more Harry Potter content, the kids had grown up, we defeated the guy who's not going to be named. And then it's like, okay, well, what do we do now? Much in the same way that as Jacqueline intimated, Lord of the Rings was like, well, we did the thing. The king returned several times in that final movie. What do we do now? Oh, we go back in time. So when you heard there was a Fantastic Beasts movie, roughly 70 years prior to the events of Harry Potter, were you instantly like, yes, this is what we need? Or were you apprehensive? Did we need these movies to be made, in your opinion? No, definitely a lot of apprehension on my part. I definitely felt like it's difficult to follow up such a massive franchise like the Harry Potter franchise. So it's always going to be a little bit of apprehension on my part. But when it comes to the question of do we need, I feel like we could ask that about almost any Hollywood remake, reboot, sequel. I mean, Blade Runner, the new Scream movie. I know Jacqueline just mentioned West Side Story. But there's so many of these movies, even Mad Max, like in 2015. I feel like there's so many of these either long sequels or remakes that come out after the movies have come out or after mega franchises have come out that we always ask, do we need? Most of the time, it's going to be a no, but it's usually going to have either something in there that we can't appreciate. So I feel like we can kind of appreciate what the movies, what the movies are without really necessarily having to deep dive into a do we need kind of question, I, at least in my opinion. It, it is an interesting thing, and I love that you brought up the Mad Max Fury Road because we didn't need that movie. We, we, we didn't even really expect that oh, movie. We, we, we just we, we gave an old guy $80 million. We're like, have fun in the desert, dude. And then he came back with a masterpiece. But in this case, Jacqueline, Fantastic Beasts, the first one, made over $800 million worldwide. And so it, maybe we didn't need it. So what do you chalk that box office success to then? Is that is that just because the Wizarding World and the brand is that popular? Or is it just because we really did want more in the universe of Harry Potter? I blame you Legos and Universal. <laughs> and that's like kind of a cop-out way of saying basically, yeah, like the Harry Potter IP is very, very strong. And so, you know, I don't, as you said, I don't blame any movie executive. As, sorry, as Tim said, I don't blame any movie executive who looks at the money that the Harry Potter franchise made and says, hey, let's keep tapping this vein. Um, however, I do think that they could have made a little bit of a better effort to I think, craft the story. Like, it, what's interesting when we talk about these remakes, reboots, whatever, if you come in with an interesting and exciting idea, nobody ever really questions it. I look at, like, the first Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis when she came back to that one. 
I just feel like this one wasn't that. This one was like, oh, let's just put a bunch of Easter eggs, a semi-coherent plot, and then enough CGI that hopefully we dazzle people into not paying attention to the fact that our lead character literally is the most uninteresting part of this movie, and everybody who you'd want to spend more time with gets the short shrift. Let's pick that baton up and run with it, Andre. So how do you feel about Eddie Redmayne as Newt's commander? Is that the character written to be a little, I, I'm, you know, dull's the wrong word because he's got a lot to his personality, but it just doesn't really, he doesn't light up a room. Not that we necessarily need that from our lead, but how did you feel about his portrayal and then that criticism that, that I share with Jacqueline where it's like, it just, you're just not moving me at all here, guy. I kind of feel like that's another counter to maybe your guys' argument that maybe it's something that it, it is so different from the Harry Potter movies. And I feel like maybe that's what's so cool about these movies is that as weird as Newt is, I feel like that weirdness of him is is so distinct from a Harry or a Hermione or from a Ron where it's just a completely new character who is very much in his world. He's very much an introvert who loves animals to a point where He's, his whole purpose and his whole identity is finding these beasts and to nurture them, that I feel like that's such a different perspective. Uh, I, I love Newt, and I feel like Newt really brings a lot of that, but I do agree that this is also an ensemble piece where you can't have Newt without Tina, without Queenie, without Jacob. I, I feel like that core unit is what really makes the movie what it is. So if it was just Newt, I would agree that maybe this would be a little bit hard to get through, but I feel like Newt, along with Tina, especially, because I feel like that duo is a really uh, solid duo. I, I just feel like it's a really cool, nerdy crew because Tina is very nerdy in her own right, uh, and so is Newt. So I feel like that combination of like having just two really introverted, nerdy people trying to figure out this situation and this scenario that they're placed in is distinct from something we saw from a Harry Potter who is a popular, super popular, everyone knows who he is, he's the chosen one, versus someone like a Newt who is kind of like living in the shadow of his brother. So I, I think it's just a different perspective than having something in the, in the Harry Potter franchise that we've seen before. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I, I, I feel like Newt is like that weird guy that works at the animal preserve and would just rather hang out and help the owls get rehabilitated and help feed the raccoons and actually interact with humans. And trust me, I deal with a lot of humans, Newt. 
I sympathize with you. I would love just to hang out with the Fantastic Beasts all day. But as far as us watching it, it's even the the criticism that you hear about the Transformers movies that there's too many humans in there. Well, we do need some humans just to kind of move the story forward. It does take place somewhere on Earth. So I think the biggest thing that I can say about this movie that I liked, Jacqueline, is also one of my biggest criticisms, and that is that I loved Dan Fogler in this movie. I thought him as Jacob Kowalski was like the guy. I'm like, okay, I, I feel like this is at least bringing some buoyancy, some life to the proceedings. My criticism therein would be um, if Dan Fogler is the best part of a Wizarding World movie, it may not be that good of a Wizarding World movie. Absolutely. Although I will say, so the Avatar, as we like to say, for people to come into every world is always the most beloved character. The the person that is most similar uh, to who you are that you can sort of like traverse this world through. That is going to be the one that everybody loves the most. That's why everyone's interested in Master Chief on Halo. That's why everyone's interested in the Irish kid on Downton. They're the outsider looking in, just like you, the audience. So that's already like an easy get for an audience to like it. However, when you're Dan and you just can just chew the scenery and steal every single scene that you're in, it puts in stark contrast just the dreariness of America. I, I need to go look on on uh, Mark Hoffmeyer's research to remind me who wrote this, because I expected with the Americans that they would just be way more like forceful and brash and like bring me all that American like bravado. And it's like they're like in a funeral march through most of this movie. And like, I get it. Like maybe it's the time frame and what's going on, but like, where is that American boisterousness? And it's only in Dan. It's only in him. Like the other wizards, like, I don't know. They went to a different version of America. So, so to Jacqueline, these movies are like when you're driving on the highway and you see a bunch of cars with their headlights on in the daytime and you're like, why are they going so slow? It's like, oh, that's a funeral. You're not supposed to, which by the way, really messes up traffic. Can we honor the dead some other way than just having a bunch of cars on the freeway, like the 405 is jammed enough. That's a different topic, I guess. But <laughs> as far as the funeral march through America, I, I feel like everybody was very beholden to to J.K. Rowling's words here. And and even from Dan Fogler, I saw an interview with him, Andres, where he was talking about the making of this film where it's so particular what's on the page, but then you get to set and then they do let you improv a little bit. And so there was a, you know, a little bit of fun that you could have with the script, a little bit of massaging, but then they would also reel you in if they felt you were getting too uh, you know, out there. It's like, no, 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 no. We got to go back to what is written. What the word on the page is still the most holy thing about making this movie. In, in terms of scenes, in, in terms of things that really brought you as a Potterhead joy from this movie and, and this mythology, what is a scene in the film that you would point to and you say, ha, see, that's what people are missing. Why aren't they talking about this? It, it's interesting, right? Because I feel like this movie has a lot of scenes with, obviously the name of the movie is called Fantastic Beasts, with Fantastic Beasts. And I feel like what's great about this movie, especially for me, right? Because I feel like a lot of people put in their own perspective or their own feelings inside this movie. I'm a massive Massive. I, I don't, I'm sure you know this, Mark. Animal lover, just in general. I am the newt of this movie, where <laughs> I just love animals in general. Like I really do have this heart for animals. So I love a lot of those scenes. With obviously when we first meet Frank, uh, the Thunderbird, uh, that eventually comes out at the end of the movie. I think that's a great scene. I think the scene where Jacob first goes inside the suitcase and meets all the creatures and he starts to kind of fall in love with the idea of taking care of these creatures and the absolute like wonder 
and ecstasy he feels at just meeting them for the first time, of never having seen something like this before. And when he says, you know, I know that I'm not dreaming because I don't have the brains to make this up, is what he tells New. I feel like that's a great scene that I don't think we've ever seen before. And it features a lot of great creatures inside the Potter franchise. Oh, sorry, no, don't pet them. Um, don't defend themselves early. See, their shells are made of silver, so they're incredibly valuable. Okay. Their nests tend to get ransacked by hunters. Thank you. Mrs. Commander? Oh, call me Newt. Newt. I don't think I'm dreaming. I gave it away. I ain't got the brains to make this up. Another scene real quick that I'll say, uh, going on a darker note, because I feel like the movie hits a lot of darker notes as well, is when... Uh, Tina is getting executed. I feel like that scene is is just absolutely jarring because it makes you feel like what does something as serious and as crazy as capital punishment looks like inside the Potter universe, which is a much more adult themed, much more serious, darker theme inside the Harry Potter universe. What does that look like? And we get to see that with uh, Catherine Watterson's performance as Tina Goldstein. Uh, going inside her memories or slowly fading inside that goo uh, that'll consume her. I felt like that was a really cool scene to kind of show you like, this is how they do it inside the wizarding world in America, which is kind of hardcore. Uh, but I feel like that's a really cool scene to show you the the contrast of the two tones in movies that you can have kind of the serious nature of it, but also have like the lighthearted wonder of the creatures. Yeah, it does get dark, and and particularly when we meet Ezra Miller's character, and yeah. and, and and we're dealing with credence, where it seems like, and, and and maybe that's that's one of my criticisms of the movie is that well, we didn't really get a lot of life out of out of Newt's commander, and then we meet credence, and then it's just like the brooding kid, and so it's like okay, well, which which team? I guess I'm rooting for the animal lover here, but the thing that did intrigue me was the mythology of the the Makusa the. The, the Mac USA, I, I mean, I, I don't know if it, how you want to, you know, quantify that that body. But I the vampire film lover in me really thought that was cool where they're trying to protect these secrets and they're worried about that getting out. And it's like, dude, the, the secrets got out. OK, Newt releasing his Thunderbird and then we get a bunch of rainfall that are like recent memories. I'm like, this is this is getting out in the world now, it feels like. But I kind of like that there is this like secret organization that we get uh, our hands dirty with and we get to say, OK, we got to keep this stuff from the humans because look at Dan Fogler's reaction in every scene. We, we cannot have a bunch of humans knowing that this stuff exists. Jacqueline, did anything move you in a positive way upon seeing this movie the first time or re-watching it where you're like oh okay that is a redeeming quality of the movie I mean besides the fact that they stole the citywide neuralizer bit from men in black two or three I forget Very which fair. one that was in no like look okay <laughs> it's pretty it is very pretty I enjoy the production design I really do but it's not <laughs> it's just not enough it, look tell me this if you really like love a character outside of Dan Fogel, which one? Like, like that's the problem. There's nobody that you even remotely like or invested in. And they're trying to get you invested in all of them. They're trying to get you invested in Credence. They're trying to get you invested in Nuke's long lost love. They're trying to get you invested in the most half baked romance in the history of fantasy. Like it's so bad. Are they a thing or not? I don't even think they know. The actors know. 
Like, are they brother and sister or are they like, we're going to like get together one day? Either way, it just, it feels confusing and it only gets more confusing when we get into the sequel. Because like for every bad thread they left hanging in this one, they just hung themselves by it in the next installment. Andres, I think Crimes of Grindelwald committed the ultimate sin here that that was teased in in the first Fantastic Beast, and that's that I feel like you had to be such a hardcore fan of the wizarding world and be so aware of the lore and like immerse in the mythology to get a lot of the things that we're seeing in there. And I'm not like I enjoyed every Harry Potter movie I saw. I really liked them, but I didn't know everybody's name like I do Star Wars. I'm a, I'm a Star Wars nerd, so I can watch a Star Wars film in any time period relative to the Skywalker lineage. And I'm like, I know who that is. That's exciting. I like seeing them again. Maybe I feel like Star Wars does it better where it, it ushers the the newbies, the uh, the normies along better than Fantastic Beasts did because it really felt like I missed a training class somewhere. I felt like when I sat down to see this movie, I was in Fantastic Beasts 301 and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a freshman. Where's the 101? Totally, totally get that. I, I feel like there was a question in the outline that said, what was it about the crimes of Grindelwald that, that really kind of sank the ship? And I think that's what it was. It was the freaking history class loop-de-loops, family trees, like French family connection, Lestrange. Like it was so many like twists and turns. And even I was like, damn, like, let me, let me lock in right now. Cause I got to pay attention to really know what's happening with obviously Lita Lestrange is kind of one of the main portions of that movie. It is a very uh, complex uh, script to say the least. And it really takes a lot of turns. And I feel a little one too many turns. I feel, I feel like there was like an extra twist in there that they kind of didn't have to put in there. Um, and I feel like that's what really kind of put people off to that film. I feel like also Grindelwald himself in that speech that he gives towards the end of the movie, I feel like that scene in particular kind of confused people because it was a very Hitler-esque speech and you did have a lot of people kind of like, you know, vibing with it and cheering with it. And, and it, that's cool. But I feel like once Queenie was one of those people, I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> it was the dumbest thing on the face of the earth. This is how we're going to be together. That just was so dumb. Yeah, it was, I was so like, dumb. Queenie, like, he's going to end up on a spit being served up for dinner. Like nothing about Grindelwald was like, we want to exist with humans and then, oh yeah, mix with them and marry them. Girl, next. The movie, <laughs> I, I think most critics certainly and even audience members said next to Crimes of Grindelwald because that movie, 36% rotten on the tomato meter, did better on the audience score, but still rotten 54%. And I, I think my biggest frustration with Crimes of Grindelwald is that like, if Fantastic Beast was a little dense with knowing all of the the people and the places and the mythology picking up from the Harry Potter universe 70 years prior, I feel like how is Crimes of Grindelwald a movie that kids can enjoy at all? Well, I don't I don't hang out with any kids. I don't talk to kids about movies, but I can't imagine kids really got any of that stuff with Crimes of Grindelwald. I know these movies are made for everyone. And and sometimes we can all be accused of this is being adults and saying, oh, why is that movie not more catering to my adult sensibilities when we forget? Well, I loved it as a kid, and that's probably why I loved any one of these franchises to begin with. But Andres, is there any, you know, legitimate argument 
that you can make that Crimes of Grindelwald is four kids at all? I don't know about four kids. I always feel like people underestimate the power of imagination that kids have. Like when I was a kid, I would watch okay. like the most bizarre, insane movies. And I feel like that's what I grew up on. And I, I turned out fine. At least I think so. Uh, you did but I feel I feel like kids, kids, kids can get a lot out of out of, you know, a lot of movies. And I feel like the the cool thing about the Crimes of Grindelwald is a worldwide aspect of it. Something we didn't really get to see too, too much in Harry Potter and the little that we did see, we loved. Uh, but seeing other wizarding worlds from other countries was really cool. Seeing Paris uh, and seeing kind of what they do inside their own wizarding world was a really cool perspective. And then seeing the worldwide you know, ministry in general and how they kind of conduct their business was a really cool concept as well. Uh, seeing different creatures inside that film, I thought was really cool as well. And different different moments in there were, were really well done as well. I feel like Newt's brother and the scenes that they had together were well done. So I, I feel like there's a lot to like in there. There's just a lot of the plot was just very hard to to follow for any kind of basic fan. I definitely agree with that. So I remember being at Comic-Con. I might have been there with you, Andres, and we were at we were in Hall H and they had announced the first Fantastic Beast movie and Eddie Redmayne came out and everybody in Hall H that day got a wand. And that wand is now in the possession of my niece, who was thought they might still think I, she's seven. So she probably realizes that I'm just like a crazy uncle that lives on a houseboat. But she she at least at one point thought I was a real wizard because I had that wand. And I'll never forget the excitement in that room. And I just wonder if that excitement for the franchise is is still there because Crimes of Grindelwald, it's one of those films where Jacqueline, it's like, where do we go from here? I remember there being conversation at the time where it's like, wait, we have two or maybe even three more of these movies coming out. Is it still going to happen? That was a real conversation after Crimes of Grindelwald had, it's hard to say, over $600 million worldwide as middling box office returns. But it was the first Harry Potter-themed movie to do under $200 million here in the States. So is there a road where Fantastic Beasts can win you, Jacqueline Coley, back over after these first two movies? Um, I mean, I'm never saying never. I'm an optimistic person by nature, Mark. So I don't think I would do that. But the one thing I will Jude say, Law. I do love some Jude Law. And honestly, the Jude Law of it all is actually what's very interesting of this. Not to get too far into it, but there was a lot of, I would say, outside drama that probably turned people off to Harry Potter around the time that The Crimes of Grindelwald was coming out. I think a lot of people, no matter what side of the fence you fell on, were very much like, I just don't want to do this right now. You know what very I'm saying? Fair. Like they were just very much like, I'm out, right? And that's fair. And that I think depressed the box office as much as anything else. And so now I think their thought was, let's elevate these more, I would say, I hate to say likable, but maybe more marketable aspects of the franchise. Let's take some time because that was the other thing with the crimes of Grindelwald is it came relatively quickly after the first Fantastic Beasts, mostly because of Ed, Eddie Redmayne's schedule, but also because of how much money it made. And then they proved sometimes you need to take your time with things. So I'm hoping this break has helped the film's creative prospects. Um, I don't think they could do worse than The Crimes of Grindelwald, but <laughs> never saying never yet again. I have to be an eternal optimist too, Andres, just based on the football team that I root for. So when I'm looking <laughs> at this, when we're picking up the pieces, I guess, of the, of the crimes of Grindelwald, we're looking forward to the secrets of Dumbledore. How do you feel they should approach this movie picking up from crimes of Grindelwald? Now, look, they already have an ace in the hole with Mads Mikkelsen 
playing the role of Grindelwald. I mean, th th that is exciting even for somebody like me who doesn't really care to, to see this movie. I will see it. And a large reason why is because, like you, I love the beasts themselves. But I also am excited to see what Mads Mikkelsen can do. Oh, he's a great actor. And we've seen him just shine over the past years uh, with different movies after movies that he really just puts his whole heart into every performance he's in. So I'm super pumped for that, for sure. And, and I do feel like what Jacqueline said is spot on. It, it, it's really hard for a lot of people to separate creator from creation when it comes sure. to these kind of stories. So I feel like that really sank a lot of people's boats when it came to the Harry Potter franchise, especially something like Fantastic Beasts, which is something that they didn't grow up with, as I said before, and they weren't invested in previously. So it's a little bit harder to get involved when you weren't involved previously anyway. So it's easy to kind of jump ship uh, once a creator, you know, rubs you the wrong way. But I, I do feel like seeing Jude Law as Albus Dumbledore is a really cool selling point. Seeing Dumbledore be a badass and like a younger, you know, not like super ancient man badass, but like a younger kind of in his prime wizard badass is a cool marketing tool as well. And I feel like the marketing so far has done a good job of that, showing you that you're going to see an Albus that kicks ass. Uh, and I feel like that's a cool selling point that they can kind of pinpoint to as well. It was one of the things, and by the way, I totally won the over on my bet where how long before I was going to reference the Star Wars prequels because I think <laughs> yeah. we got like, I don't know, 25 minutes into the show before I did. But I bring it up again for this reason is that I think one of the things that the prequels in Star Wars suffered from was not having that central personality we could glom onto like a Harrison Ford as Han Solo. Like nobody in the history of Star Wars has been as cool as Han Solo. Maybe Lando Calrissian could give you an argument, but then we get back to the prequels and it's like we're watching Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and they're great at what they they do, but they're not exactly the life of the party. That's not what a Jedi does. But it was an intriguing prospect to say, hey, I'm going to see a movie with that old wizard that taught Luke a couple things. He's young and he's in his prime and we get to see Apex Obi-Wan Kenobi. And a lot of that stuff did pay off for me. And so I was excited to see that. So if you're telling me that I get a Dumbledore in my prime and he's going to be he's been like getting into the ring, then I'm kind of like, OK, Jude Law, Mads Mikkelsen. I don't want to be just a whore for movie stars in movies, but man, it's going to be cool watching them sort of duel with their magic, with their butterbeer, whatever they're getting in a fight over. I'm kind of here for it. And I also do need to see more Fantastic Beasts. That was my one of my big criticisms of the first movie was I liked the beasts I saw. I kind of wanted more fantasticness. Am I am I crazy here? No, fantastic. There was fantastic CGI, but there was no fantastic like what what like awe inspiring moments. Does that make sense? Favorite beast for you, Andres Cabrera. Who's your favorite beast of all the fantastic ones? I'm going to start you and you y'all know where my heart is. You both have met Molly the Wonder Dog in person. And I think the most Molly-like fantastic beast was Mooncalf. Mooncalf kind of reminded me of, of a little Beagle Boston Terrier that has stolen my heart. So I'm going to give it to, to Mooncalf. Anybody, anybody want to go different? Anybody want to go rogue? I want the thing that's going to bring you money back. The Niffler, Ooh, I guess it the is, Niffler, that like yeah. steals things. Yeah, yeah, no, give me the Niffler <laughs> any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yeah, I, I feel like the Niffler, I, I, I kind of think they did a good job in the first movie when it comes to showing off the creatures and showing off their likability. I mentioned the Thunderbird before, Frank. I feel like he's a very likable creature as well. I love Pickett. I just love Pickett. Uh, it's the little tree creature that lives inside his pocket. Mm -hmm. It's like a little baby Groot. 
uh, that mm-hmm. literally it's a, it's a lot like picks, a baby Groot. Uh, yeah, picks pockets and saved his life. Saved his life. Too. Saved his life. Yeah, I, I I love Pickett because it kind of reminds you of uh, you know, it's just like a little pet that he has that he never really lets go of. It's one of the few creatures that sticks with him throughout pretty much all the films and all the film. So that's probably my choice. But again, every creature to me just has something different and unique that I really did appreciate. So I'm in. All right. Final thoughts here on on Fantastic Beasts and and where to find them. And and I'll start with this is that I upon rewatching this movie, I did not have any let's say herbal medication. I wanted to focus on the film. I don't want to fall asleep watching it like has happened to me in the theater with Crimes of Grindelwald twice. Yeah, kids, tried to see it twice, fell asleep both times. But with the original Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, I can find joy and I can find humor and I can find fun nods that even I picked up on in the Harry Potter world. And I'll say this about the entire universe is that I really like this world. I really want to live there. And that's not an easy thing for me to say because producer Lucy was at the dentist a couple days ago, didn't have the best time. And I was like, well, yeah, that's why I never want to go back in time anywhere because what dentist are you going to go to? But this did kind of make me want to go hang out in that world, in that time period in America. So I think that's a big feather in its cap. It's just nothing really moved me emotionally. Andres, for you, what is it about Fantastic Beasts that you like in there? And maybe even is there anything in there that you appreciate more than you did with the Harry Potter films. The the animal lover in me appreciates the crap out of the concept of the story and out of the idea of a Newt Scamander who is very much trying to show people the love of these creatures and what they can bring to the world and how they are not dangerous. One of my favorite scenes is when Graves takes uh, the case away from Newt and he's begging him not to hurt any of the animals because I feel like a lot of people don't understand these kind of creatures. So I feel like that's one of the major things inside these movies that I do appreciate that it is so different from the Harry Potter movies. Can I just do another one as well where Tina Goldstein, I can honestly say, I know Jacqueline, you said before that there is not a single character uh, that will stay with you. (laughs) Tina Goldstein is honestly one of my like all time favorite Potter characters. I absolutely love her. I think Catherine Watterson brings a lot to the role, a lot of heart, a lot of warmth to her character, a lot of nerdiness in the first film when you see how nerdy and how kind of bumbling she is um, inside her world where she's trying to succeed, but she keeps on tripping over herself and trying to do the best she can. I I think she's very endearing, uh, very warm, very heartfelt character that I appreciate the crap out of her and I think she's great. Uh, So I feel like Tina, Newt, as you said before, Jacob is just one of the most jolly, joyful, fun characters we've seen on screen. So I do feel like the characters have a solid foundation. And I do feel like the story and the setting set inside the 20s and in America and it's all, all over the world, obviously, in the future films is a really cool concept that I appreciate. <laughs> and I, I, I'm excited. I'm excited for the next ones to come. This is this is the question I probably should open with. This is how good I am at a, hosting a podcast. Andres, did you read the books? Yeah, yeah, the first ones, yeah. Did you read them? Had you read them prior to seeing the movie? No, 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 no. Because I didn't. Okay. I didn't grow up. With, didn't grow up with uh with all of them once they came out. It was afterwards. Right. 
Okay, because yeah, I just wanted to feel like if you did your homework and then you went to go see the movie, and it's like, oh, I can follow everything that's going on here. But uh, Jacqueline, did did Mr. Cabrera? W- I mean, you you made me excited that you're excited. I'm happy. I'm happy that you're happy. And I, I will say this: what this conversation has done for me is make me at least give some hope. But it's all pinned on the secrets of Dumbledore. Like if that movie lose starts to lose me. I'm not going to say I'm exiting early, but I'm, I'm going to say my eyelids might start to get heavy. Jacqueline, do you have any faith that the secrets of Dumbledore can pick this thing up and take the baton and right the ship? I would say I have very little faith, but I will go in with a semi-open mind. That's the best want- this movie can get for me. That's the best this movie can get for me. Because like, there's another movie that opened this week that we may be talking about coming up and there is nothing that movie could do to get any version of like even neutral goodwill i will at least give this one eh, it might i don't think it will but it might i do um i'm very intrigued by the prospect of taking newt scamander the character and putting him in other movies where animals wreak havoc and just seeing how he'd be able to handle it like I really want Newt on the orca in Jaws. And I just want to see if he's like, hey, look, y'all are really abusing the crap out of this poor great white shark. It but got hungry. It, it ate a couple kids. Can we just can we just listen to the shark side of things here? <laughs> I, is there any animal attacks movie that either one of y'all think could benefit from the presence of a Newt's commander? I mean, look at Jurassic World, right? Or Jurassic Park. Mm. I mean, Ooh. Hey, Jurassic Pratt. World for sure. Yeah, Jurassic World for sure. Actually, I have one. It hasn't come out yet. But there's a new movie, and I only know about it because a friend is involved, but it's out there in the world, and it's Stray. It's going to be Will Ferrell, Jamie Foxx, and I forget who else. And they're going to play stray dogs that got abandoned by their owners, and they, like, go on a revenge-seeking tour to, like, get their owners back. Like, hey, man, you abandoned me. It's in Deadline. You can read about it. I want Newt on that one because I feel like he would, like, join them to be, like, coming after the owners. Like, this was, like, you know— reservoir dogs and they're going to like you know take these people down that's what i want i want a doggy revenge story with newt wow. at the center god y'all picked much better instances than i did <laughs> All, the, the only thing i got in my in my backpack is i think if newt was like bob newhart and was the doorman at the empire state building i think he could have talked king kong off the roof peacefully i think he could have been like hey man you, you can't really Fair. take the planes and and use them as toys why don't you just come on down here i'll buy you a coffee and we'll talk about it and i and i think that that king kong and all of his might would have agreed and would have uh, seen a kindred spirit in newt's commander so newt's commander we think is very useful just maybe not the lead of a movie franchise <laughs> for jacqueline and i but but andres you, you you did a great job stumping for your boy. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you're kind of proving your point. I mean, Newt I know. does have that power. He's got that ability to, to command these animals and to have this heart for them that I feel like it is kind of underrated. And I feel like Newt, I don't know. I think he's an endearing kind of character. Obviously, it takes a minute for him to grow on you. Uh, but I feel like once he does, I feel like he's kind of an endearing character. But I can't lie, Mark. Out of all the movie franchises, I, I love Fantastic Beasts. And I've loved them since I first saw this movie, the first movie. It, this is the one movie that is I, I'm not going to fault you, man. I'm not going to fault you guys for for not appreciating. Every time someone on Twitter talks crap, I don't go out of my way to respond to their tweets or to be like, hey, actually, like, that's not me. I'm not going to make you like these movies. Uh, it's just one of those personal things that I saw Crimes of Grindelwald by myself because no one wanted to go with me. Uh, I'm very happy to watch these movies on my own and enjoy them 
uh, because I really do understand why people are kind of put off by them. So, no, I think that's Aww. A, that, I'm sad that's a, though that you didn't. Nobody wanted to go with you. You you, you call <laughs> your no auntie Jacqueline and your uncle Mark, and we'll take you to the movie. I mean, we'll drop you <laughs> off, then we'll go play arcade games yeah. in the lobby. But yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, well, one yeah. of the best movie going experiences of my of my college years, uh, me and a bunch of uh, friends, some of them were ladies. One of them I ended up dating. Different story. We went to go see that movie, The Mexican with Brad Pitt and Julia oh, Roberts yeah. and James Gandolfini. I just found it atrocious. I found it so boring. Maybe I need to revisit it. So I went out in the lobby after 20 minutes and I played Crazy Taxi, which was a big video game at the time. Mm, and I that. had myself a blast. I set a lot of records at that movie theater that may still hold up. In Crazy Taxi. Go see if M-E-E is in the initials in North Carolina. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to be it for our Fantastic Beast chat. But check out Nurtured by Nature. They're a great wildlife preserve in Southern California. They let you swim with otters. Great people. A lot of Newt's commanders working at Nurtured by Nature. And with that, let's head it over to Mailbag. Brian, cue the music. That sounds like music that uh, that would accompany Jacob Kowalski in a Fantastic Beasts comical scene. We love our fans. We call you all the Ketchup Crew, and you are certified fresh in our hearts. This mailbag, we've gotten a lot of them recently, by the way, and thank you all. They're great. Tyler Harper did what we always encourage everyone to do and hit us up anytime. Rotten Tomatoes is wrong is our show. RT is wrong at gmail.com. Is, is it Gmail or is it Rotten Tomatoes? It's RottenTomatoes.com, I believe. Damn it. Damn it. It's 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 one of just type in Rotten Tomatoes and, and your computer will find it. RT is wrong at rottentomatoes.com. And Tyler Harper knew the email better than I did. And Tyler says, Greetings, ketchup gods. My nine-year-old son has recently got into wrestling. Although there are a few movies that I could show him that involved wrestling, we recently sat down and watched Nacho Libre. I'd forgotten how genuinely awkward and hilarious this film is. It had lines that I quote all the time, and it makes me laugh with the costumes, dialogue, and generally goofy-looking people. Not to mention a couple small cameos from kid actors Troy Gentile and Moises Arias. If anyone loves the culture of Lucha Libre and Catholicism mixed into one, this is the movie for you. It is a crime how low on the tomato meter it is. I know it's not a perfect film, but it should be at least fresh. Regards, a proud Ketchup Crew member, Tyler Harper from Alberta, Canada. P.S. Nacho. I've never seen Nacho Libre. I have. Oh, wow. I have. Yeah. Nacho Libre is a great movie. It is a great movie. But I also grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas, where like Lucho wrestling was like such a thing, like not with me personally, but I definitely saw it a lot. Um, They used to have a Spanish language public access channel that on Saturday nights would play the like Lucho fights and they would like do reruns of old telenovelas. And, you know, when you're bored as a kid, you find crazy things you get into. And then I watched it religiously. I loved it. It's like one of the cool like things that Stranger Things tapped into it a little bit in season one. Just the war of like being a kid and like getting this weird wonky reception that the adults really don't pay any attention to from some different place. And you're like, this is really cool. Andres, Nacho Libre, you in, you out? Oh, yeah, it was great, man. I, I still can't believe you've never seen it. Wow. I know. You should, yeah. uh, you should check it out, man. I don't think it's that long. I think it's a. Uh, I think that, yeah. It's Jack Black, like the height of his Jack Blackness. That was like, right, like pick of destiny, Kung Fu Panda. Like Jack Black was like so 
it right then. The holiday. How the holiday. Jacqueline's boy, Jude Law. I I recently called the holiday. I know we already talked about the holiday on the show, but my God, that man is stunning in that movie. All right. Well, um, we have been soliciting some hook love or hate or however you feel about the movie Hook from Steven Spielberg. It's one of the very few Spielberg films that is rotten on the tomato meter. And we got a great fan video about Hook and their take on it from our Ketchup Crew member, Patrick Barrett. So y'all should uh, check it out on YouTube right now. He's got a theory and I love this theory. And it sort of ties back to some of the stuff we were talking about with Fantastic Beasts. Patrick Barrett is convinced that there is an expanded universe where Hook and Jurassic Park are all in the same canon and that Peter Pan eventually, I believe, turns into (laughs) none other than Dr. John Hammond. And Andres, I'm not a Hook fan. People know this. It's going to be a very interesting episode when we do it. That could get me on board with Hook if I'm looking at a young Dr. John Hammond. Speaking of prequels. I feel like there's so many movie franchise that are desperate to jump into the Jurassic World franchise. Because uh, <laughs> don't we have like Fast and Furious wanting mm-hmm. to jump in there as well? A lot of a lot of folks want to get into Jurassic business. Maybe, hey, Steven Spielberg started both of them. So I think he's yeah. got the... Uh, He's got the golden ticket, as it would. Well, mm-hmm. it, it was a delight to have you on the show, Andres Cabrera. I'm sorry that, you know, we had to rain on your on your movie a little bit, but I'm glad that you emerged with the love because, look, opinions are are for you and you alone, and you should be able to celebrate the stuff in film that you enjoy watching. So uh, tell us where we can all uh, – I, I know you're a busy guy. What do you have going on with uh, with the meaning of, um, uh, with, with all of your other endeavors right now, and where can all the kids find you? Yeah, you can find me obviously on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Squad Leader Race and my YouTube channel, uh, which is at First Cut or First Cut Channel. You can just type that into YouTube. Uh, I'm personally covering a little bit more of anime again this year. I keep talking about anime. No one really cares. Don't tune me out yet, guys. Uh, Attack on Titan, the finale is coming up this Sunday or last Sunday. Um, so if you want to check out a little bit more Attack on Titan coverage, you can go to First Cut. Uh, we're also covering pretty much every major movie coming out. And also, I'll probably do a review for um, um, Secrets of Dumbledore as well. So. Okay, do you have a streaming show that, that and, and it can be something in the world of anime. I mean, I, I'd love something that is is a nice conduit into the world of anime, but anything else that you're checking out right now that you can recommend for the folks? I can't believe I'm doing this again. <laughs> but last time I was on this, I said Jujutsu Kaisen. Can mm-hmm. I recommend it again? Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, we just had a movie come out. Uh, the Jujutsu Kaisen Zero movie uh, was in theaters and it made pretty good box office numbers. So if you want, if you're a fan of the wizarding world of Harry Potter, you will like Jujutsu Kaisen. It is kind of a darker take on, you know, what happens if, you know, sorcerers were among us kind of thing. It's very similar. A lot of people have pointed out the similarities to the Potter franchise, but Jujutsu Kaisen is one of the best animes I've seen in recent years. And it's on HBO Max. There you go. Oh, okay. Well, I get it. So just ping me every week. And if I still haven't watched it, then that's going to be on me. The other show that I know Andres wants to recommend are the Western Conference playoffs, probably on Mm -hmm. TNT or one of Ted Turner's networks, because I am riding the sun's wave with you, my friend. I hope that they 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 finish the job this year. So we'll see if uh, Chris Paul, Devin Booker and the fellas can get it done. Um, Jacqueline, we always encourage everybody to subscribe, rate, review, share this podcast, all that good stuff. Whatever platform you're currently enjoying us on, whether you're listening to us or you're watching and listening, make sure you share that. Let your friends know about it. We always appreciate all of our Ketchup Crew support. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. See, I nailed it that time is our email. What do we have coming up next week, even if you may not be here for it? 
Yes, I may not be here for it, but I'm excited about this episode to listen. I know. It's, yeah, because this was a movie that I had to, I'm just going to say, deal with for a very <laughs> long time because it's the Oscar award-winning, four-time Oscar award-winning film, Bohemian Rhapsody, where the director quit in the middle of it and still kept his name on the title. Ladies and gentlemen, and I will just say this. I think this one was so divisive, even in the award space. This is the type of episode we should be doing, man. And if you guys agree, let us know, because I have a feeling this is going to be a great episode, whether I'm here or not. This is why JC is the best, because even though she's about to, she's got one foot on the plane already to go to whatever magical destination she's headed to. She's ready to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody right now. Say what you want. That was one of the best opening to the Oscars in the history of the telecast was having Queen on stage cranking out We Will Rock You. I'll take that. Sorry, Beyonce. Beyonce wins. Up until that point, though, I would have given it to you. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Beyonce wins now, but you know. We always have opinions on this show. There's never a shortage of opinions and there's never a shortage of love to be had in the world of movies here at Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. So thank you to our very special guest, Andres Cabrera. He's an ace when it comes to all things Wizarding World and Fantastic Beasts. Good luck with a new movie. Maybe I'll go see it with you. Jacqueline Coley, my incredible co-host, who deserves a break. Producer Lucy, who deserves, I, you know, uh, my, my PPO if she needs to go back to the dentist. Brian Perez, our incredible engineer. The whole team here at Rotten Tomatoes. I am merely Mark Ellis for me and my moon calf, Molly the Wonder Dog. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. 